0: Well, good morning and welcome to Connection Church Savannah online. We're so thankful that you guys have decided to join us this morning. Uh, just what a great morning of worship together to be able to do this in our living rooms um, and wherever you may be watching. It's so awesome to be able to come together as a family still and to meet together, to worship together, to honor, honor the Lord together and just really uh, to dig into the word together and to pray together. Uh, I just wanted to just check in on you guys this morning to make sure everybody's okay. I'm mean, I just, I'm praying that um, you guys have, uh, you guys are in, enduring this uh, this crisis and this storm, well, that you guys are being able to um, stay into community somehow. With whether if you're watching from another uh, area of the of the country, the state that you're able to find some community somewhere to do life with people in the midst of, of the crisis we're fi- we're facing right now. That that I that I'm praying that we're coming out of, and that God is making a way um, and a way forward for us um, as a body, as a church, God, and as a country and as a world. Um, as we see um, God just moving in so many ways. And uh, as I said last week, this is really wearing on me, man. I'm, I'm really really ready to get the church back together, Um, and I'm ready to see my family. I'm ready to see my friends. I'm ready to see the people that that God has put in my life to do life with. I'm ready to see people's faces instead of a a tripod and a camera. I'm ready to see um, some people that I can hug and give high fives to and shake some hands and just do life together and really worship in person together. And so I just wanted to check on you guys and make sure you're okay. Um, If you have any prayer requests or you have any things that you're going through that you need some prayer with, or if we can reach out to you, put that in the comments. We would love to to walk with you through whatever you're going through and be able to kind of... do life with you um, from a, from afar or, or um, whatever you may need and so um, today we're going to be going into the series uh, witness again and we're gonna be in the week 19 uh, it seems like we've been going through witness forever but it's uh, it's we've been we've started this series back in September but God has done some cool things in our hearts he's taught us some some amazing things about what the book of Acts um, means for his for God's church it, it's amazing to see um, the the theological principles of of just the church going from acts 1 to 20, 28 as we're looking through Scripture and seeing what God intended for us as a church when He first initiated the church. And I love um, today as we look in Acts 19, we're going to see a lot of uh, principles about salvation and theology and, and what the, the coming of the Holy Spirit looks like and what the purpose of the Holy Spirit is in the church. And um, and sadly today, what I believe is that a lot of people have a hard time explaining the purpose of the Holy Spirit in the local church, the role of the Holy Spirit in the local church, and I hope today we're able to see um, what God has called us to do as a church, as a body of believers, but also individuals that make up that body of believers to do as we're following Jesus and as we're seeing God's kingdom built here and on the earth. And as we jump in today, wherever you're at, wherever you're on your your couch, you're in your maybe you're in your bed still. I don't know wherever, wherever you may be. I'm praying that before we start today, that you will um, get your heart in a place. Where you're, where you're able to really evaluate where you are, where your soul is and where your life is with God this morning. Where are you standing with God right now, this morning as you sit? So many times we get so bogged down and we get so lost in the emotions of life and we forget about all the things that God's done for us and all the things he's called the church to do and all the things he's called us to do as believers, so many times we get so bogged down in the, in the trials and the crises and the, in the frustrations and the struggles of life that we forget who we are in Christ. And there's some of you today that may be watching that may not know Jesus, and and you don't have that hope of, of eternity that we're talking about this morning. You don't have that hope of the Holy Spirit or Jesus to be able to lean on in times of crisis. And I hope this morning that you would keep watching until the end so that we can share the gospel with you. We can share who Jesus is and what he wants for your life and what he wants for the lives of those around you and what he wants for our lives as well. And so this morning... My question is, are you a follower of Christ? Do you know Jesus? Does your life look like what you read in Scripture? Does your life look like Jesus? Does your life line up with Scripture? What Scripture says about a believer and about a a, a person that has been regenerated, a person who has been made new in Christ, does that line up with your life? Or is this something where you have heard about Jesus your entire life? You may know about Jesus but you don't know Jesus. And so this morning, I believe, sadly, there are a lot of people who attend church that believe because they were raised in church, they were they raised a hand in a service or they were baptized or, or that is a sign of their salvation or conversion when that's not what the Bible says reveals our conversion. You know, are you a disciple of Jesus? As we're going to look today, we're going to see Paul going into Ephesus. So you're going to see what a disciple looks like. You're going to see what drives Paul in life. You're going to see the energy that the Holy Spirit gives him to push the gospel where it wasn't. And our heart today is to, to ask the question, you know, uh, one of the main characteristics of a believer of someone who follows Jesus is someone who is obeying Scripture, who is obeying the Father. And one of the things that he told us to do was to make disciples. And so my question is, are you a disciple and are you making disciples? These types of questions should do two things, I feel like, in the life of a, a person is one, it should create an assurance in our hearts that we've been saved and our position in Christ is secure. Or it should drive us to the cross in repentance and saying, Jesus, I need you. I need a savior. I need someone to save me from my sin because I know that I don't have that in my life right now. So this morning. I want to pray for us, and I want that to be a constant question in your head today as we look forward into this sermon, as we look forward into this talk today with each other. I pray that you'll be able to do some self-evaluation, some soul evaluation this morning as we get going. So let me pray for you. Let's calm our hearts. Let's calm our minds for a moment and just spend a moment praying for clarity and for God's Word to penetrate our hearts this morning as we read. Because His Word is everything. His Word changes things. His Word moves our hearts and moves barriers in our hearts. God uses His Word. It's living, it's active, and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And so this morning, my prayer would be that you would just experience that. So let's, let's take a few moments of silence and let's just dig into some prayer together. And let's just um, quiet ourselves. If you have kids at home, it, it is what it is. But just let's, just let's just take some time to just quiet our souls for a second. Father God, we, we give our, our hearts, our lives to you, Father. We give every situation that we're facing to you, Father. We give every heartbreak, every, every ounce of depression or every ounce of frustration, every ounce of anger, every ounce of worry, anxiety, every ounce of control, Father, we give to you right now in Jesus' name. Father, every person, every situation, Father, we give to you in Jesus' name. Father, we give you the the keys of our hearts, God. We give you the control of our lives, the control of our church, the control of our homes. We give it to you, Father, because we have no control. Father, we have no authority to control any of these situations, God, except through your Holy Spirit, through your Son, Jesus. So this morning I pray, Father, as we open up the Word, God, that you would do what only you can do. God, you would change hearts. God, I pray for the person that is sitting in their living room or driving in their car, God, wherever they may be, Father, I pray that you would just convict hearts this morning because, God, only you can do that. Nothing I say can do that. Lord, only you can do that through your word, through your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray this morning that you would bring new life in someone's life. God, that someone would turn the the control of their life over to you, Father, for the first time, and they would say yes to you, Father. God, I pray for power to enter into people's homes this morning in a new way, God, that that where there's worry, where there's anxiety, where there's fear, God, I pray that they would just be replaced with with peace. God, with comfort, God, with joy, that you would do something mighty through the name of Jesus this morning, through the word of God. God, we love you. We give you the control, Father. it's, It's nothing about me or this church that has any power, God, but it's about you and your name. Jesus, we love you. We pray that you would just move in the midst of of our trials and our crisis, Lord. I pray that you would move in the midst of, of our of our doubt, Lord. There's, there's people that are, that are listening that have doubts. God, forgive them. Forgive us for our doubts. God, forgive us for lacking faith, God, but give us more faith. God, that we do believe. God, forgive us when we don't. But we love you. Bless the reading of your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so this morning, today, we're going to be going to a theme of really the whole Bible, and it's so essential that we as the church have to return to it over and over and over again. And it's that the core sin of all mankind, from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every place you go on the planet, the core sin of every man in the world is idolatry. Like, God created us to love and worship Him above all things. Above all things in the world, He created us to worship and adore and love Him. But in our sin, you can look in Genesis all the way to Revelation, in our sin, we've chosen a bunch of other things to love and to worship more than God. And and the whole story of the Bible that we look at in Scripture is God challenging and then rescuing us from the worship of false gods. You can see that in the Old Testament if you're going through the 412 reading plan, which you should be because it's amazing. You can see that God is continuously rescuing His children from the worship of false gods and idols. And this, this, the whole premise of, of repentance is turning away from idols and sin and turning towards the God that creates us and loves us. And what it means to be converted this morning, we're going to look at what it means to be converted. What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to know if I have faith in God? What does it mean to know if I have a saving faith in Jesus? Because that is the question that we all have. That is the, that is the enemy's greatest weapon and a believer's life. Are you really saved? Have you done enough? Do you know Jesus? Are you going to heaven? Are you able to be saved? Do you uh, where are you at in that spectrum? And so the enemy loves to come and just hammer away at our confidence. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of people don't understand. But it mean, what 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 conversion means is, is to return to God as God to return to God as God. A lot of people don't get that though. They think that when they come to God or when they go to an altar or when they say raise your hand in church and say I need to be saved, what you're doing, what they think in their minds sometimes, I'm not saying all people, but a, a great deal of people think they're arranging this get out of hell free card with God. And in response, you'll agree to maybe be a little morally better and go to church on the weekends and maybe go to connect group when you have time. But the core element of conversion, the core element of turning your life over to Jesus is returning to him to worship and to love him and him alone, to love God as God. Because if we're loving God as God, when we have a clear picture of who God is, everything else pales in comparison to who he is and what he's done. Listen, God didn't save us, and a lot of you are going to say, what? Listen, God didn't save us just to submit to him and to surrender to him. But he also saved us to love and to worship him and to adore him. And the goal is to know God. The, the, the word is gnosko, means to, is to know him. The D is a deep knowing, to know God and to be known by God. And that's the heart that I want you to see this morning, guys, is that's the prize The prize of knowing God and being known by God, that's the prize. Knowing Jesus, that's heaven, because heaven without Jesus is not heaven. The goal in your faith is not to not go to hell. That mindset misses the entire picture of the gospel. The the mindset is to go be with Jesus, because Jesus is your prize. The beauty of your faith is, is that you get Jesus. Because in Christ, we become heirs with Christ to an eternal glory where he is the central focus of all that we do and all that we are. We're not bound by sin. We're not hindered by temptation anymore. Not struggling with this life. And that starts when we come before Jesus and we say, Lord, I'm done with with the attempts that I'm making at life. I need you and, and you give control of your life to him. That's the heart behind conversion, behind salvation. Because if you understand this, then you're going to see how the passage we're going to read today is applicable to you, how it's applicable to me, How, how we, as we go around Scripture and in Acts, in the, in the chapters of Acts that we've been reading over the past few weeks and months, we're going to see the heart behind, not just the church, but the heart behind what God had in mind for you in your life when you gave the control of your life to him. But the problem is Christians sometimes give control, take away, give, take, give, take. And today I pray that we would turn a new leaf, we would turn a new corner and give God the control and leave it with Him because He is the only one that can do with it the way... That, that, we're, that, we're, that we're, The way that we need him to do it. And so in Acts 19 is where we're going to be. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do because you're, you're at home, so you should have your Bible. And so go find it if you don't have it with you. So go find your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 19. And we're going to look at the story of the gospel going into Ephesus. It, and, it, and it challenged the most cherished false gods of the city like there was, a, it, this city was phenomenal and later in the chapter we'll see, I mean we're not going to read um, to the end of the chapter but you can look at the later into the chapter that the people get really violent at the gospel's um, penetration into into Ephesus and you're going to see how the, the gospel colliding with these false gods of the day causes a, a, a mass chaos in the city and we see it we see a great uprising but before we jump in, I want. I just want to give you a little background and in, in, um, info on Ephesus, and you know, Ephesus was the greatest and the richest city in the richest region of the of the Roman Empire at the time. It was it was the region's um, primary port. Basically, all of the region's trade and commerce came through Ephesus, so it was a very wealthy city. It was. Uh, it had the world's largest temple dedicated to the, go- to the goddess Artemis or Diana, whichever. Um, it, to the Greeks, it was Artemis. To the Romans, it was Diana. Um, the temple was actually one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Um, if anybody is familiar with uh, the Parthenon in Rome, if you've ever been to Rome and seen uh, the, the ruins in Rome, you, it's one of the most popular ruins you can go visit or see online. Um, but this, the, the temple to Artemis was Four times bigger than the Parthenon. Listen, this statue of Artemis, even just the elaborate, um, just the 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 the, the, just the beauty of the temple was just breathtaking. Um, the statue of Artemis was actually carved out of a meteorite that fell from the sky, which is incredible. She was the protector of the city. The one that she was seen as the protector of the city, and the one whom they believed guaranteed their prosperity. Um, It's such a great, um, just a history lesson to go back and look at some of these cities that that Paul visited. Um, She. uh, So today, this is the backdrop that I want us to start with to where God was leading Paul to take the gospel. This was actually Paul Paul's second missionary journey to Ephesus, and what I want you to see this morning is that um, you know as, as God's leading. As God is leading Paul um, to Ephesus, he's gonna stay here for a, an extended period of time. And so let's read this together. We're gonna to start in verse um, one. We're gonna read through verse seven. We're gonna talk a little bit about it, and then we're gonna go um, a little bit further. And i want to focus in today on verses 11 through 20. So um, let's, let's read. So it says this in verse one. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Great question. No, they told him. We haven't even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. Well, Paul's like confused at this point. Into what were you baptized? He asked them into John's baptism. They replied, well, this is interesting because John's baptism was a, was a baptism of repentance. And, and John even preached about the Holy Spirit that was to come because Jesus was coming to baptize with spirit. He was baptizing with water. Jesus was going to baptize with spirit. So John foretold this. So they, I'm, I'm not sure why they didn't understand this. Verse four, Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling that people that they should believe in the one who could, would come after him. That is in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in other tongues and to prophesy. Now there were about 12 of them in all. And so listen, Paul arrives, he finally arrives back in Ephesus. He wanted to come here two years prior, um, but God hindered him. And it, But basically, the first thing he runs into, what this passage records as disciples. And this is important to note, man. Like he's able to tell that from, ex- from external appearances that these guys are pursuing something. They were clearly religious. They were clearly set apart from the culture. They were, they were following someone. Their lives must have given evidence to that. But when we think um, they, were, they were probably disciples of John the Baptist or Apollos that we read about last week. But, but Paul uses this re- revelation to see like, look, I see them. They're, they're, there's something different about them. They're my, I'm not sure they, they, they're Christians, but I, I need to talk to them. I need to open up the door and see what's going on. So Paul uses this revelation as a moment to press in and turn it into an intentional conversation to discover who is it that you're following. And so there's a, there's a lot we can learn from this because we have, we, we may have conversations or relationships with people in your life and it may be evident to us that there are interested in spiritual things, but you're just not sure. And we're called to go deeper. So Paul's question was so important because if you look all throughout scripture in Romans 8, Ephesians 1, you can see that the witness of the Holy Spirit is the one indispensable proof that a person is truly born again. And we can't enter into the kingdom, was what Jesus said to Nicodemus, without being born again, without receiving the Holy Spirit, without coming into, and, and without receiving God's grace, without receiving God's love. And at that moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. And, and Paul's questions was so important. And then Paul says in Romans 8, verse 9, he says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the Spirit, if, if indeed, those are important words, If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. So this is experiential. I've experienced the Holy Spirit coming and living inside of me. There's a change. There's something new in me, a new power, a new force, a new life, a new energy that's coming to my life and that is pushing me forward into what God is calling me to do. The verse goes on and says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. That's cut and dry. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you do not belong to Christ. And we know from the verses like Ephesians 1 verse 13 that we receive the Holy Spirit when we put our faith in Christ. And so Paul explained to them that John's baptism was a baptism of repentance that pointed to Jesus as the one who was to come and who was going to they should be the one that they should put their trust in. And so John's ministry was preparing the way for Jesus and Jesus' ministry was going to bring fulfillment to John's ministry and the rest of Scripture. And so Paul was pointing and saying, listen, You may not have heard about Jesus yet. You may not have heard about the Holy Spirit yet, but He has come and you need to put your trust in Him. John the Baptist said that. You should know that. So come. And so that's what they did. They believed in Jesus. Paul laid hands on them. They received the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in tongues as a sign of their salvation and began to prophesy as a sign of the newness of life that came in because we talked about this in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, and now in Acts chapter 19 that speaking in tongues and prophecy was a sign, one to the Jews, to the non believers, and then to the Gentiles, to the Jews, to prove that they have received salvation through, the, and through Jesus as a sign of the Holy Spirit in their life. And so that's a quick rundown of that very deep seven verses, so I would encourage you to study that more. Uh, we're going to go move on to verse, uh, verse 8 through 10, so follow along with me if you will. Since Paul entered the synagogue after this and spoke boldly over a period of three months. Three months is a very good timeline for Paul to be in the the synagogue because usually he's getting kicked out because he's preaching the gospel, right? And so he was arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God, but when some became hardened and would not not believe, underline those words, became hardened and would not believe, they began slandering the way in front of the crowd. So he withdrew from them, taking the disciples, I'm assuming that these are the 12 disciples that he just had just seen converted to Christianity and conducted discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Gentiles, heard the word of the Lord. And so all of the residents of Asia in that day had heard the word of God because of Paul's obedience in Ephesus. And so... It was during this time, I feel like, I mean, I know, sorry, it was during this time that the churches of Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis were founded. And as you read the book of Revelation, you can see those churches that Jesus is talking to. Um, some people believe that, that those seven churches in Revelation 2 to 3 were started at this time because of Paul's ministry and because of Paul's influence in the region. And it's, it's such a cool thing to look at. And so what's happening here in these two two or three verses is that Paul is taking these new disciples. And he begins to teach them, walking through scripture, walking through the things of God, teaching about the kingdom of God. And he takes them to this synagogue and tries to persuade the Jews to turn to the gospel for three months. And, And in usual fashion, the Jews reject the message. And Paul removed himself and began teaching the Gentiles in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So Tyrannus, it's the only time in Scripture that we see him, but he was he was either a teacher or a government official that had had his allowed his lecture hall to be used um, for many different teaching uh, traveling teachers during the time um, during different times of the day. Um, a lot of people think it was between eleven and four. Um, it's just that's just a, a nerd's information, so don't don't worry about that. Um, and this and this is what leading us up to the passage that we want to talk about today in verse eleven through twenty. So follow along with me as we jump into this. Um, it says this. God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hand so that even the face cloths and aprons that had touched his face were brought to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Now some of the itinerant, which means traveling Jewish exorcists, also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. The seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this the evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus, and I recognize Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had an evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, and prevailed against them so that they ran out of the house naked and wounded. And when this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Gentiles, they became afraid in the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. The fear of the Lord multiplied. And many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices While many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in in front of everyone, so they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. In this way, the word of the Lord flourished and prevailed. And so the 50,000 pieces of silver in today's money would have been about $4 million to give you some context of what it looks like in that time. And so the first lesson that we need to learn from this passage, the first truth that we need to cling to is found in the first five words. Who was performing extraordinary miracles? You know, God was doing it. God was doing it through Paul. The key was Paul was surrendered and a willing vessel. Paul was dead to himself so that he could come alive in Jesus. And we can't accomplish what we are called to do on our own power. And let me tell you this the time is short. We don't have a lot of time to do these things. God has called us to a specific role in the church, to a specific role in this world. We're called to to make disciples. We're called to love people. We're called to do things that he's called us to do, and we can't do those things apart from him. These extraordinary miracles that Paul was doing, um, some versions of the Bible says that Paul was performing special miracles means that these were things that had never been seen or done, and, and they were meant to confirm the authority of Paul's evangelistic efforts in, in Ephesus. And so you see, the miracles that were happening were a sign to people that Paul was doing this in the authority of God. And so God was expressing his power. It wasn't Paul expressing power. God was expressing his power over disease, Like sickness of all kinds were being healed. The medical science of the day could not diagnose or name most of the sicknesses that were being seen in this day. But this passage says the disease left them at the name of Jesus. That's beautiful, right? The the same the same things were happening with those people who were in spiritual bondage. The demons weren't able to remain in places that they once occupied because the king of kings and the Lord of lords was coming and building his kingdom and darkness can't stand in places where the light of the world enters, right? So Paul's faith in God and his usefulness to the kingdom was in sharp contrast here with the seven sons of Sceva, right? They were trying to invoke the name of Jesus without actually knowing Jesus. That is a very dangerous place for you to be To this morning. If you don't know Jesus and you're pretending to know Jesus, or if you're putting things out there where you're invoking the name of Jesus when you don't know Jesus, it's a dangerous place. These guys were even trying to invoke the name of Paul because Paul's ministry had been so successful. Listen, the evil spirits knew Jesus, all right? They, they knew him and they trembled at his name. All throughout the gospels, when the demons came in contact with Jesus, they called him the son of God, the son of man. They called him by his name. They called him the savior. They called him the Lord. And Jesus had to silence them because it wasn't time for him to be revealed yet. Time and time again, Jesus had come and defeated the demonic. They knew Jesus, and when Jesus—excuse me—when the demon said, "Jesus, I know," he used that word again that I spoke about earlier, that "gnosko," which means to know by experience. They've experienced Jesus before. They experienced that power and the, the overwhelming um, sense of uh, just, just, just authority and sovereignty. And the vast amount of, of demons had acquired. Had acquired of the human race was, was of no use when they confronted Jesus. The vast experience that the demons had with the human race around the world it didn't work when they came face to face with the God man, Jesus. He was a man as God had always intended a man to be, he was holy. Separate from sinners. He was, he, he didn't have, te- he didn't give in to temptation. He had temptation, but he didn't give in to temptation because he was encased in an impenetrable armor of personal holiness that he had committed himself to. They knew Jesus was king and had authority. But they knew Paul too, right? They knew Paul. They had known him for some time, I feel like. The word used when the demon said, Paul, I know, basically means to know by proximity or know by prolonged attention. So basically what that means is these demons had been watching Paul, had been trying to get at Paul, had been trying to, trying to hurt Paul's ministry. And what this evil spirit had been doing is he'd been hanging around Paul, watching him and studying him. And he wasn't going to mess with Paul, though. You know, he was almost as much afraid of Paul as he was of Paul's master because Paul spent so much time and spent so much of his time in close proximity to Jesus. He knew Jesus. Well, what about the seven sons of Sceva, right? Not so much. The the demon looked at these dudes and were like, who are you? I I don't know you. Words of wisdom, guys. Here's a word of wisdom. You don't want demons talking back to you, Right? You don't want that. The demon-possessed man jumped on these seven men and beat them so badly that they ran out of the house bleeding and naked. Like, this is the climate in which Paul preached the gospel at Ephesus. People were awed at what was happening. There was a power, soul-saving, demon-conquering, life-transforming power in the name of Jesus. And the result of all these things was a fear of God came over the whole city Many became believers. Many came confessing deep, dark sins in their life. Many came confessing sins of being a part of the occult. Uh, they they uh, They were doing magic and different things, and the word of the Lord flourished and prevailed and conquered the idols and the false gods of that day, and ground was taken for the kingdom. And so one thing I notice in this chapter is the realness of Paul's faith, and so sometimes we come to church and we go through the motions, we sing our songs and we read our Bibles and we go to Connect Group and we go through the motion. But sometimes in our life, we don't experience the power of the Holy Spirit working itself out of us into the community, into the world. We don't see things um, happening around us because there's a lot of things that we're holding back from God. And this morning, I pray that we would do an evaluation and say, God, if if there's anything that I'm holding back from you, Father, I pray that you would reveal those things to me and that you would give me courage to hand those things over to you. And so this morning, I want to give you really three signs from Acts 19 that shows that your faith is real. As you follow Jesus, you're going to need your faith to be real. There's going to come a time in your life where you need your faith to be real. These seven sons of Sceva needed their faith to be real in that moment, and it wasn't. Paul needed his faith to be real, and it was. And you see fruit from that. And so the number one thing I want to share with you today is, is the, the three signs from Acts 19 is that your desires have changed. We can see an example of that when the believers came confessing and, and renouncing their practices that they once had and that they once took part and burned the books that, that total $4 million and said, Here, I don't want this. I don't need this. My treasure is now Jesus. And so your your desires have changed. The things that you once desired and cared about before Jesus have changed. The Bible says when you become a follower of Jesus, you are made new. You're made into the image of Christ. I'm sure you've heard phrases like death to life, born again, new life in Christ. These all point to a new creation that you are made into when you put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus. God puts his spirit inside of you, and your heart begins to change. Your desires begin to shift. In Romans 2, Paul describes it as the circumcision of the heart, the cutting away of the flesh of the old man so that the new man can come alive in Christ. I've said this verse a million times. Second Corinthians five seventeen says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. And let me tell you right now, the, the oldest trick in the, bu- the book for Satan is to come to you and say, you're not new. You're the same old person. You're the same old thing. You're the same thing you've always been. You're gonna keep falling into that same sin. You're gonna keep falling into that same relationship problems and the same things your family has fallen into. You're gonna do the same things that you've always done. You're not new. You don't feel it, do you? He wants you to live on feelings. He wants you to live on emotions. But Jesus wants you to live on faith. And so this morning, if you were in Christ, you have become radically new. No form of religion can accomplish that. No form of, of a white-knuckle faith can accomplish that or do this. You have become positionally holy before God. If you said, Jesus is my Lord, I trust in him, and there's fruit of that in your life, you have become positionally holy before God because God is now saying, Jesus, he's seeing Jesus' holiness in your place and what you've entered into is a process that we call progressional holiness. Positionally, you are holy, you are made clean, you are made new, and the rest of your life is going to be a progressional holiness that sometimes you hear called sanctification, that you're being made holy, made into the image of God. It says it in Romans 8, 28 and 29, the reason why God works all things for the good of those who love him is so that they can be made into the image of who God is and who God intended us to be as followers of him. And when, G- when Nicodemus came to Jesus asking about the kingdom in John chapter three, Jesus told him, unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Listen, Nicodemus didn't get that though because he had spent his entire life following the law and all the while he missed the entire point of the law. The law pointed to Jesus as a fulfillment of it. Like Nicodemus and the Pharisees, they believed that people entered the kingdom of God by being nice, right? But which meant for them, I'm gonna be a good Jew. I'm gonna keep the law of Moses. I'm gonna go to the synagogue. I'm gonna offer the right sacrifices and I'm gonna stay away from the Gentiles. Moral righteousness is what was happening here. Moral righteousness was the standard that Nicodemus and the Pharisees aspired to. In his mind, nice people got into the kingdom. Think about it. To be nice, a good person is to feel good about yourself, right? It becomes about me. It becomes about me feeling good enough to be able to say that I can go to heaven. It's that appeal of self-commendation that binds our moral, modern variation of religion to Nicodemus's. We think, if we do enough, we'll be accepted. But that's not spiritual fruit, is it? That's not what the Bible says. It's that, that is a works-based moral righteousness that has no power to save you. In Nicodemus's eyes, he believed that he was able to do whatever needs to be done to in order to vindicate himself before God, which is false. And some of us are believing that this morning, and I pray against that lie right now in Jesus' name in somebody's heart. Like, Nicodemus may not have said this, but he lived like it. He assumed God would be pleased with his best efforts. But so many of us are in the same boat. We have learned this message of being nice in churches that introduced a Jesus who promised to improve us, to promise to to make us better, not a Jesus who caused his followers to die, to die to themselves. These, these churches have taught us to be nice without making sure that we're being made new. There's no accountability saying, are you being made new? Is there fruit in your life? And so we have relationships that are so divided that don't allow us to see each other in that light. And we don't respect authority enough to be able to come under someone and say, listen, can you hold me accountable and I give you permission in my life to speak truth to me even though it hurts? Jesus didn't die to make you good. He died and came to make you alive. This is what Ezekiel 36 had in mind the entire time. This is what it was referring to in verses 26 and 27. This is what God was saying through Ezekiel. He said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I'll remove your heart of stone, the hard heart, and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. And so what that's saying is, in Christ, God makes you new. God sustains the process. And it's even God who produces the fruit. But sadly, let me tell you this, and this is what's sad, a lot of people have mistaken following Jesus with a form of moralism that even an atheist can duplicate. And this is a sad sad thing because when, from Genesis to Revelation, God has used his people in radical ways to change the face of the earth. And if the church settles for a self-induced form of moralism, then we miss the entire gospel. The world doesn't need a nice version of you. The world needs a made new version of you that's living in the power of the Holy Spirit, doing things in you that you can't do in your own power like Paul was doing in Ephesus. We said a few weeks ago that Peter and Paul were normal, ordinary guys. The only thing that was different in them is they were surrendered to Jesus. The second sign, here's the second sign. The second sign that your faith is real. You're living to make much of Jesus, not much of yourself. You're living to make much of Jesus, not much of yourself. If it, if it hasn't already, we said this a moment ago, there will come a day in your life when you need your faith to be real. Maybe it's right now in this pandemic. Maybe this is the time that you need your faith to be real. I don't know. Maybe you're one of the people that I I hear say, I'm just ready for things to get back to normal. But, but I think what you really mean when you say that is you're ready for things to get back to the familiar. You're ready to feel the safety of your normalcy, the normal life that you live, the nine to five that you work, your family schedule, your church schedule. You're ready for things to get back to the way they feel familiar and safe. But what if God is trying to take you away from what's familiar so that our faith can grow and our dependency on him can deepen? So many people who wear the label Christian fall into the same vein of thought that these seven sons of Sceva had. Listen, I'm sure these dudes were good guys. I'm sure they were wonderful people. I'm sure they knew the Bible from front to back. I'm sure they went to Sunday school or connect group. I'm positive that they prayed, and I'm positive that they read the Bible, but there was something missing. They had spent so much time filling their head full of knowledge about who God is that they forgot the point of the whole entire relationship was to know God, be known by God, and to make God known. So some of you this morning may have, have, uh, pri- have uh, prided yourself in knowing a lot of information about who God is, and you haven't known God, or you haven't known Jesus. But like Paul said in Philippians 3, verses 8 and 10, it, it says it all the time, that all of his accomplishments and all of his knowledge was what? Worthless. Some versions call it rubbish. Some versions call it dung. The actual translation was considered a curse word. The Bible is not G-rated, guys. And when compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, all of those accomplishments and knowledge was worthless, and he threw them out the window because it didn't matter anymore. But these seven sons of Sceva had an association with Jesus, but... But only one that would benefit them. I'm going to try to invoke the name of Jesus in this situation to get what I'm, get the result that I'm trying to get. I want to get this job. So I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus. I want to pray for my friend and I want a friend to think I'm respectful. I want him to know that I'm good. So I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus. I'm going to, I'm going to invoke the name of Jesus. Even though I don't know, even though I don't know Jesus, I want to invoke his name. Even though I may have an association with Jesus, I'm going to invoke his name. They were hoping by using the name of Jesus, they could better carry out their job. They weren't depending on Jesus for anything. What about you? Are you depending on Jesus for anything? Or have you set your life up where it doesn't really matter if Jesus comes through or not? Financially, you may have all the money you need in savings. You don't really need Jesus for that. Health-wise, you may have all the insurance in the world. You don't really need Jesus for that. Food, clothing, clothing. I can go to the grocery store. I can go to the store and buy food and clothing. What are you trusting Jesus for right now? How are you making him known? How are you making him known in your life? Are you living for yourself? Are you living to make much of Jesus? Is it even a thought in your head that he may be calling you to something besides where you're at, out of your comfort zone? Or have you shut that voice off in your mind? Do you know Jesus like Paul knew Jesus? a a close proximity, a close heart to him, leaning in close, listening, following, surrendering. And if not, my question is why? Why aren't you? Do you know Jesus or do you know about Jesus? Is your faith based on experience or is it based on association? Is it based on a moment where you're faking it, trying to have the experiences someone else have? Or... Is it an experience that you have where you have an intimate encounter with the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and you're trusting him for everything? Is your life lived to make Jesus known? The last thing as we close, your resources are being used more for the kingdom than for self. Your time, your treasure, your talent are being spent more on God's kingdom than on yourself. When these people in Ephesus saw the majesty of Jesus on display, they believed. And they began to repent of their idols and literally were began to burning the things that were dishonoring to God in their life. And I told you a moment, moment ago that these books equaled $4 million in today's money. And we say it this way at Connection. We believe disciples of Jesus honor God with their first and best of their time, treasures, and talents. Does God get the best of your time, treasures and talents? Does your idols burn at your heart as Jesus is calling you to repent, to move away from the things that you may be worshipping and bowing down to? Do you remove those things quickly or do you try to are uh, you do you try to argue with God or, or negotiate with God to try to keep your idols in God? Because that's what the Greeks were doing, the, the, the ones in it that had the Parthenon. There was, there was all these idols to all these different gods, and they wanted to put Jesus in the Parthenon. If you look in the 4:12 reading plan when the Philistines took the Ark of God and, and put it in front of the God Dagon, every night they came back, every morning they came back, that God was toppled onto his face. Because there's no God that can stand before our God and live. There's no God in the world that can, that can satisfy you because they are cheap imitations of something created by Satan. And so we say this at our church a lot. You know, when I tell you right now, and this is something I say to you from my heart, guys. You cannot worship God and your idols at the same time. Our God is a jealous God. It is impossible. It is an impossibility It is not possible for you to be submitted to Jesus and following his plan for your life while also bowing down to an idol. Galatians chapter 5 shows us the, the stark contrast between the fruits of the flesh and the fruits of the spirit. It says the fruits of the flesh are obvious. The things that it lists out are the things that uh, all human beings in the world apart from Christ are just naturally carry out in their life. The fruits of the Spirit are carried out by the Spirit working itself and through us and in us. And so this morning, I don't know where you're at or or where you've been. I don't know what's going on in your life. I'm not sure where you may be at on on your relationship with Jesus. And I pray this morning that you have evaluated your heart and and your soul and, and your stance on where you're at with God. And this morning I pray that if you evaluate yourself and you say, has my, has my desires changed in my life? I pray that you've been able to answer that question. The second thing is that you're making much of Jesus and not much of yourself. I pray that you can look at your life and say, where do I spend most of my time at in, 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 in the world? Am I spending it in front of a TV? Am I spending it in front of a screen? Am I spending it trying to entertain myself? Or am I spending my days trying to make Jesus' name great in my sphere of influence? And the last thing we said is that well, we, we honoring, we're honoring God with our resources. We're, we're coming before him and repenting of the things we're, we're bowing down to. And we're allowing God to take those things away and give us something far greater in return. And so this morning, that's what Jesus wants to do in your life. Christian, he wants to do that in your life. He wants you to, to, to surrender the things that your heart tries to worship apart for him. And so this morning, I pray that you can do that right now so that you can go into the realm of living that he wants you to do. The things that he saved you from, he wants, you to, he wants to put them in your past. If you're still struggling with an old sin, I pray that you would get on your knees in your living room with your husband or your wife or your roommate or just alone and just pray that God, say, God, just, I I want you and you alone. God, I repent of my idols. I repent of the things that I'm giving myself to. Father, I turn to you in Jesus' name. This morning, if you don't know if you're saved, if you are if you have a question in your heart, if your heart's racing, that usually means God's speaking to you. God's moving in your heart. I pray that you wouldn't ignore that. I pray that you would just pray, God, make it clear to me what you're trying to say. God, if I'm not saved, make it clear. And then you come before God and you receive the gift of salvation that God has given us through Jesus as he died on the cross and as he rose from the grave and as he ascended into heaven. And then he promised that he's coming back for his bride, which is the church. And my heart would be that you wouldn't cut off this live feed today without knowing for sure that you have been saved because God said in, in, in the Bible that, that God made, God made um, him who did not know sin. Jesus, had no, he didn't know sin. He made him sin on our behalf. So Jesus literally became our sin and died on a cross to pay for our sin. The payment is final. You don't have to keep paying for a sin that you committed 20 years ago. Forgive yourself because God has. And so this morning, my heart is that you would step into a a relationship with him, that you would just bow your head and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know I need you, Father. I surrender to you. God, I put my trust in you. And I pray that you would tell someone about it. I pray that you would would put into the comments and you would say, today, I put my trust in Jesus. Say, today, I put my trust in Jesus. And that's all you have to say. And I promise you, you'll have a, a, a Facebook live feed that will be rejoicing with that decision. And then I would like to personally talk to you or send someone from our prayer team to pray with you over the phone or over text, because we want to celebrate what God has done in your life today. And so this morning, as we close, I just pray that you would look back over Acts 19 and look in your life and just ask yourself, am I on mission for God? Am I living my life and surrender to God? And if you're not, reach out to us. We'd love to pray with you. We would love to walk alongside of you. We would love to do this together with you because we believe God has big plans for you. We believe God created you with great purpose, with great value, and we want to see that come out in your life. And so this morning, I pray, if nothing else, you know that Jesus loves you. He loves you so much that he died for you. He loves you so much, he doesn't want you to stay the same. And so I pray that um, this morning has been edifying. I pray that you um, would just be able to to center your heart on what God's called you to. And I pray as we we go into a time of prayer, I pray that you would just... um, Continue to evaluate your heart. Continue to ask God and cry out to God, God, what are you calling me to do? What are you calling me to do, Lord? Am I, give me the assurance of my salvation or convict me where I'm wrong and need to repent and come to you, Father. So let's pray this morning before we close. God, we love you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word's invaluable. We thank you that your word is so valuable to our hearts, to our souls. We thank you, Lord, that it's truth. God, we thank you what you've spoken today. We thank you, Lord, that that even when we're not perfect, even when we struggle, even when we go through crisis and we don't handle things the right way, God, you are there to forgive, to give us grace, the grace that we need to continue. Lord, I pray that you would empower your church now more than ever to step up and step out, God, and be a powerful force in our community, in our world as we move forward through this crisis, as we come out on the other side. God, I pray that you would just change who we are, God, so that we can change the community around us. God, I pray for that person this morning that's full of doubt. God, I pray that the gospel would just penetrate their heart. I pray they would be known by you. I pray that they would learn to know you this morning. Lord, I pray for that person who is making a decision to follow you this morning. I pray that they would have the bravery and courage to to boldly and publicly profess, today I trusted Jesus. Lord, we thank you. We want to celebrate that because I know that is a beautiful moment in the life of a person. So this morning, go with us, God. Lead us, God. straight us through this week. Show us ways to love others. God, give us a a mouthpiece. Give us a, a, a motivation in our heart and a boldness in our mouth, God, to be able to speak truth, to be able to share Christ, to be able to share the love that you've given us through Jesus. God, we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen pray you guys have a great week. Um, it's so great to be with you this morning. I pray that God gives you great opportunities this week to, to spread your faith, to share your faith, and to share the love that Jesus has put in us to share with the world, because we have a message that needs to be gotten out, because you are sent, and we're called to be on mission um, for God's mission and for the glory of God. So have a great week. We'll see you next week at ten thirty, Same time, same place. We love you guys.